0: Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across
1: the world. Hello, and welcome to episode 46 of Endurance Horse Podcast. In this episode of Endurance Horse Podcast, I sit down to talk with Marvin Bragman. Marvin is a minister, a devoted husband, horse trainer, and endurance rider. This June at the ARC National 100 Mile Championship, Marvin and his mount journeyed their way to a fourth place finish and best condition. Listen in to this conversation as we chat about how he found horses, faith, endurance, and his advice for conditioning, not just your horse, For yourself also. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 46 of Endurance Horse Podcast. Today on Endurance Horse Podcast, we're going to talk with Marvin Brangeman, and he was the winner of the best condition at the Fort Howells AERC National Championship Ride in June. How are you doing today, Marvin?
0: I'm doing great, thank you. It's warm down here in the south, but I'm good. <laughs> extremely humid. Fortunately, I was raised and born and raised in Bermuda, so it's just <laughs> like this.
1: So I usually start off with the same question for everybody. And I, so I wanted to ask you, how did you get into horses?
0: Oh, wow. Um, I started when I was nine. I was always crazy about horses, always fascinated with them. And uh, at nine years old, my mom asked me if I wanted to uh, start riding that so, of course, I did. I started at a riding school, Warwick Riding School in Bermuda. Um, And the rest is history. That was it. At 10 years old, I knew I was going to train horses for the rest of my life.
1: (laughs) So how is it that you came to find out about endurance?
0: Okay, so my basis is dressage and show jumping. And back in 2012, I met this lady, and she said that she thinks she needed my help. She had 30 Arabians. At this point, I was like off of Arabians, Arabians. I'm not too popular in dressage and show jumping, but anyway, went to help her. It was Laurie Dinkelman at the time, now Laurie Nelson, and that's where I met Christo Dinkelman. And so I helped them. It took them three years to get me to do an endurance ride because I thought it was nuts. I was <laughs> like, you people are crazy to ride horses at that length. And so because I didn't know much about Arabs, you know, mm-hmm. I had ridden a few as a teen, but certainly not you know, in that uh, discipline, in endurance. I didn't even know what endurance was. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a newfound respect for Arabs after that because I was like, oh, that's what they're good for. Okay, so it <laughs> makes sense now. You know, it's got to be crazy to want to run 100 miles. Cool, because now it, it all makes sense to me now. Mm-hmm. And so I got into endurance uh, through Christo uh, Dinkelman, and that's why I write a Dinkelman Arabian at this point.
1: So what is your favorite thing about endurance? Or you, why do why did people, you keep
0: going? The people when I first went when he when Crystal finally convinced me to do a twenty five. It took three years, so in twenty fifteen, I finally he said, "Okay, I'll try it." And the people, you know, in the in dressage world and in the hunter jumper world and the show jumping and eventing world, people can be horse people can be very terrible. They're very snooty, mm-hmm. and so and uh, endurance. I was blown away at how friendly and and welcoming, you know, the, the endurance people were. So it was the people at first. And
1: then, mm-hmm. of
0: course, as I got into the riding, uh, you know, I developed, you know, I like riding horses all day. That's what I do. And so, you know, I got to do what I love. I love to ride all day. I like to be around great people. And, you know, so it was a no-brainer for me.
1: So you could have kept doing twenty-fives and still gotten that experience. What was it that pulled you into a hundred?
0: Well, I did a fifty, like in June of 2015, I did a twenty-five, and then I think March of uh, of 2016, I did a fifty and one, and so of course I got the bit in my mouth, <laughs> and uh, and then after that, Christo told me that. WEG, you know, the World Equestrian Game was coming to America, and this was a great opportunity for me, you know, because I, I as a teen, I was on the jumping team, you know, for my for Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we traveled to Canada and stuff like that. And so I drifted away from the show jumping and then dress arts, where I still did it a bit out here, you know, in the training, in the schooling uh, shows in Hamilton, Georgia. I would do that periodically. And so anyway, so I still stayed doing that stuff, but I never really competed that much. But I always had this thought to, that I'd like to compete for my country again. And so mm-hmm. this opportunity came up. Crystal said, WEG is coming to America. Uh, if you want to ride for your country, I've got the horses. You've got the experience. How about it? Let's do it. And so mm-hmm. I went through the whole process of qualifying, and we qualified, you know. So, and then it just, I just kind of graduated up until the, 75 and the hundreds, and so I've kind of built myself up to it.
1: Tell me about the horse you won BC on at the national championships.
0: The Kaolian machine, uh, mm. AKA Percy. He is a machine. Uh, when I, I didn't know all those years I've been riding that horse. I've been riding him for several years now. I didn't know he was named the Kaolian machine. Mm. He is a machine. He is, he's bold, he's competent, he's no nonsense. He's not too crazy about people. Uh, you know, he's really, he came off the racetrack, of the, okay. the Arabian racetrack, and Marsha uh, is his owner, and she has a lot of experience uh, from a racetrack, you know, from Arabian. He is incredible. He means business, he knows his job, and you can count on him. He, he You'll tire out before he does. <laughs>
1: So you have this yeah. unique combination, Marvin, that you're horse trainer and pastor. Can you tell me a little bit about how one helps you out with the other?
0: Well, okay, so I'm not quite a pastor. I'm, I'm an ordained minister, and so, but that's fine. People call me pastor all the time, but I'm a minister. So I attribute my success completely to God anyway. I got saved back in 2000. And so I kind of use my platform, you know, traveling around and um and meeting different people and competing all over the place, I give God the glory, you know, and I recognize Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so people that know me, everybody that knows me knows that I love Jesus and that, you know, I rise to the glory of God. So, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. And my ministry is basically like my pastor teaches us. Our ministry is out here in life,
1: mm-hmm. you know.
0: People need to see the Spirit of Christ in you. And so that's what I do. I'm happy, I'm blessed, and uh, even, you know, sometimes we go to trials and tribulations, but still, I count it all joy, and I thank God for life. And uh, and so that's part of my ministry, is just spreading love and spreading joy and uh, letting people know where that comes from, that it didn't come from me, that it comes from God.
1: Now, there is a verse, and I'm not good at memorizing verses, but it speaks to the fact that you are, you know, to do good in the world, so that it is, yeah. it is reflected back to your father, back to God. And we strongly believe that in my family. Our, like, family verse is Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good, because that yeah. became our verse, because yeah. life does hit you and blindside you. You know, um, some of my friends recently lost their horse. Um, we lost a horse last year. And people lose their jobs, you know, things like the pandemic. It can get very confusing in the world. So I actually put that on the yeah. inside of one of my horse trailers. I put that verse in there that says, just trust in the Lord and do good. You know, when life gets yeah. too complicated, you just go back to that.
0: <laughs> oh, I was going to say, that scripture that you were referring to, I believe it's probably, it's, uh, I can't remember, it never can quote where scriptures are sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't. But it said, let your light so shine before men
1: Mm hmm
0: so and i think uh, i'm probably i'm paraphrasing but it says basically let your light shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your father which is in heaven that's the one i think you're referring to but something like that and that's basically what i do and i don't do it on purpose it comes naturally you know i don't Mm -hmm. have to make an effort to do it it comes naturally you know i just naturally want to make people smile and and make people laugh and You know enjoy people and stuff like that and so I thank God for that.
1: We're gonna shift gears real quick and I was wondering could you tell me about how you were chosen at 16 to represent Bermuda in the show jumping for Canada?
0: Okay so I was um competing um as a you know as a teenager and stuff and you know it was rough in the beginning and uh you know wasn't so successful but by the time I was 15 I uh, had an opportunity to ride this really good horse, you know, and though I I already displayed my, my ability through riding other ponies and riding other horses and stuff. But by the time I was 15, I really started to catch on to, you know, the mechanics of the horse and understand what was going on and, you know, not just be a rider. And I, as my instructor, Barbara Haslop Smith, was us back then, Uh, Not to just be a passenger, but to be effective of a rider, you know, be effective. Mm -hmm. And it started to kick in. I started to win, you know. I started to just not just be a competitor, but just be someone to beat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I kind of rose up in the ranks, as it were. And I didn't even know that I was vying for this uh, position. I had no idea. Uh, They called me one day, called my mama, and told her that I got picked. This was in June of 1984. I was 16, and I got called. My mama called me from school. She was so excited. I was scared because I thought something happened because that was a rarity for me to get called to the office because it was a phone call. Hmm. And my mama was screaming on the phone that I was picked and stuff like that. And so, anyway, so I got to, you know, represent uh, Bermuda. There was a team of eight of us. That's how I got picked on that team. You know, it just kind of happened. It was quite fun, actually. It was a great experience. And uh, I'm really great that I had that experience.
1: You train multiple disciplines, such as jumping and dressage, or you have over the years. Do you think that this has helped you as an endurance rider to have that background?
0: Absolutely. I think that my personal thoughts are that no matter what discipline you do, dressage is a good basis. And you may not go further up in levels, but just having that understanding of the mechanics. dressage teaches you the mechanics of the horse and how to, you know, communicate with the horse through your body language. And so, you know, I believe that that's a good basis. In fact, you know, I've ridden all, all different kinds of horses and worked with all different kinds. And I've got a good friend that runs barrels and her and I are always. Swapping ideas and, and discussing stuff because I've been riding one of her barrel horses and giving it basic lower level dressage training just to help it with you know with what it has to do with the barrels and so you know it's pretty interesting how it all kind of coincides joy it's so awesome you know when you study them it's awesome
1: so I I didn't mean to go down this road because it it might be a sensitive topic but um, I see a lot of horses in endurance that could benefit from dressage because I see them very upside down in their carriage with the overdevelopment of their, their neck, the bottom of their neck and maybe their abdominals and then the back and the top of the neck is not so developed. Um, So do you see that fairly often? And can you give people some tips to, to change that if they notice that in themselves that, I mean, I, they shouldn't ride their horse in a dressage frame like their entire ride, but if they trained up those muscles in that frame at home, don't you think that might benefit them as far as working towards best condition or having their, their scores on their back be good when they get checked at the vet checks?
0: Yes. I do and that's a good question actually, because part of the reason why I when I first met Christo Dinkleman, that was part of the deal you know, that the horses, they felt that the horses were hard. They were hollow. Mm -hmm. uh, They weren't soft. And and my whole thing is the horse has to be soft. They have to be soft throughout their their back. They have to be soft. I call it round, soft, and light, Mm -hmm. which means they don't have to necessarily be on the bit. But if you train them, like you said, I like to train them in a frame. Now, that doesn't mean that I go and make the horse get into this frame when it's not used to it. I mean, we can't just go to the gym and just start pumping irons. It's something that you work toward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's a it's a process. And, but I do believe that when I train that and machine, he's trained like that. When I train him, when I do laps, when I work with Vinkelman Arabian, that's what I uh, Marsha and I, we do most of the training. And we make the horses round and soft and light. And that's how they travel. And so what that does is that puts them in the correct frame so that when they do walk, trot, and canter, or just walk and, walk and canter muscles are the same. Those get developed. The trot muscles are different. Those get developed. And then when you're out on rides, if you're doing 100 miles, you don't have to do 100 miles on the bit, But the horse will have the muscles. The muscles will be built up and strengthened. And then uh, along with your feet regimen and your training, that's what makes best condition, you know, mm-hmm. because they don't just look at the muscle. They look at everything. They look at metabolics. They look at a number of things. And so when their training is correct, and it does help, you know, I mean, if you have a horse that's running around, uh, you know, and it's whether you're training or at a ride, and it's hollowing, like it's hardening its, hardening, hardening its back. Mm-hmm. in order to carry your weight, then that's gonna be a strain. And over time that's gonna cause
1: problems. That was gonna know? be my next and point was that over time a horse that travels a ton with his nose up in the air yeah. his back yeah. hollow is gonna have a shorter yeah. competition career probably. Do ya?
0: Absolutely. Something's gonna go wrong. Uh and it starts it's gonna be in the lower back and then transfer down to the leg, you know, they could be it could cause all sorts of issues depending on the horse, its confirmation, you know, wherever there's weaknesses. None of them are built perfectly. None of us are. Right. But when they travel incorrectly, it's going to cause a problem. Same with us as
1: athletes. You're touching on my next question, which was, can <laughs> you share with us what you do personally to prepare yourself for a hundred and to ensure that you have That's the stamina? Funny that was my next question. You led right into it perfectly.
0: Cool. Well, I hit the gym. I'm 53 years old and so my body doesn't want to do the things that it used to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I am in the gym. I go to the gym every day. I've been cheating ever since I came, ever since uh, uh, we've finished national. I haven't been at the gym. I've probably been twice since we you know, since June. Because you know, I gave myself a little break. I mean, mm-hmm. I worked hard and so you have to give your body a break. Right. So I gave myself a little break, and now I'm like, okay, I gotta get back to the gym. I gotta back get back to the gym. But yeah, I I do the gym. I discovered that if I don't do the gym, if I don't do uh, my exercise regimen, that when I was preparing for WEG, I consulted a trainer and told him exactly what I was going to be doing, and he gave me this exercise exercise regimen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was going to be beneficial for me riding, you know, for my riding muscles. And so, along with riding as well, so that that combination, like when I went to nationals, I was good and fit.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I was
0: able to walk the next day, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was good and fit. So I think I'm still kind of fit, but now I need to get back at it, you know, and continue on with this fitness level that I've, I've achieved. But you have to eat right you have to look after yourself because it was brutal out there in Montana it was hot dry hot and not just horses were getting pulled people were getting pulled well Mm -hmm. people weren't getting pulled because they don't get judged but some people were having a hard time dealing with the heat and you know you can't eat chips and cookies Mm -hmm. and all that stuff while you're riding you know I eat salads I eat fruit and vegetables when I'm out there competing like that. That's what I eat. and I, I mean, I eat like that, period, anyway. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you share a little bit with us about what your exercise routine was like that your trainer set up? Was it mostly cardio?
0: Yeah, well, no, it's a mixture. And so what I, basically, I do a warm-up on the treadmill when I get to the gym of about 10 minutes, just jogging. I put it up to like five, you know, put it up to five, five miles an hour. I do that for 10 to 15 minutes. And then I'll go and each day I do a different muscle group. So, uh, you know, one day I'll do uh, arms, one day I'll do legs, I'll do chest, back, and abs. You know, I do abs three times a week hmm. um, And so, because my core needs to be really strong. And so, you know, we just do – and that's typical. That's basic what people do, different uh, muscle groups, if, if they go to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. And then if I do – I did have a three – Three times a week, gym schedule that I was doing too. And I kind of combined like a couple of muscle groups. But my um, cardio consists of after I do the warm up on the treadmill, I'll, whatever muscle group I'm working on, I'll go and do that. And then I would come back and I would do the, the step climbing. And so the step climbing is I would put the step up to 10, like I would start off low. I would put it on three for a minute. Then I go up to 10 for a minute, then I drop down. So the idea, and even on the treadmill, he gave me this exercise that when I run, I put it on six and I leave it on six and I use the incline. So I would put incline up to about 12. Mm. And then I would run on that for a minute. Like when, just when you feel like you're about to die, <laughs> you drop it down and for two minutes, you take two minutes to recover, to catch your breath. And I would do that three times and so he told me it's called muscle manipulation, whereas you push yourself. If you just, He told me if you get on the treadmill and just run for 20 minutes on the treadmill, you're really not doing anything. Hmm. Not, you know, this is for me. I know lots, lots of people do get great exercise like that, but he said for me and for what I'm doing, he needed me to push incline so that I mm-hmm. could push my body. Because what happens is your muscles get used to whatever you're doing.
1: Uh-huh. And just like the
0: fly spray that we you know, the fly spray that we use on the horses, if you keep using the same fly spray or wormer, the worm, you keep using the same one, well, they get immune to it and it doesn't work. So your mm-hmm. muscles are the same way. Mm-hmm. If you keep doing the same thing every time and not changing it up, your muscles get used to it and they're like, Oh please, this is easy. Mm-hmm. But when you start changing it and your muscles are challenged. And that's what gives you a great workout. And so I do that. And it's very hard. (laughs) You know, if I had a guy at the gym ask me, you know, he was like, I see you doing something different. What do you do? I tell him, I said I do two minutes on the flat, one minute on incline, and I drop it down, two minutes. And I keep doing that. And I do the incline three times.
1: Interval training.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when I've done that, and then I, plus I use the step, and plus with the, the muscle groups I use, it keeps everything good. Mm. You know, it keeps me fit. It keeps me in the 150s. Oh. I, I weigh 155, 156, oh. something like that. It keeps me like that. Because I like
1: to eat. <laughs> so you have to and burn so, some of burn some of that off that you eat. Yeah, ate.
0: eat, and I really know I like to eat. I didn't never, I used to be one forty five, but mm-hmm. when I turned fifty, these pounds, uh, ten pounds, came on me.
1: Mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about the national championship ride? How that went for you? Um, I see you did it in over just over fourteen hours, under fifteen hours. So um, mm-hmm. how was the conditions there at Fort Howells And just fill us in about how your ride went. And you were fourth place and best condition in the 100.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. So that was a very, very good course. Um, it was very interesting because, well, first of all, it was really hot. So I spent a lot of time stopping. I stopped a lot. And I got off at every opportunity of water to sponge Percy off because I would sponge him off, and I would sponge him soaking wet. And by time, like five minutes later, he'd be dry. Wow. And so he wasn't sweating, and I wasn't sweating. So I was drinking water like crazy. And at first, you know, these Arabs, they think, you know, try to be a hero. They think, oh, I'm not thirsty. They won't drink. Mm-hmm. But by the time midday came, he was drinking like he wouldn't believe. So that was good. And plus, we were using electrolytes and stuff to get him to drink. Mm-hmm. And so once he started drinking really, really good, we were on a roll, and I just stayed steady the whole day. I stayed at the same pace the whole day, and I didn't even canter. I trotted the whole day. The hills, the inclines were incredibly, like, steep, like the mountains mm-hmm. and stuff. It was, it, was, it was, I was like, whoa, it blew my mind. So sometimes we would take a break. I remember this on the white loop. We were going up, and I was like, okay, we need to take a little break here. Mm-hmm. So out let him catch his breath, and then not go again. And then at one point coming down, I think it was Green Loop, I was like, surely they don't want us to go down there. And mm-hmm. I looked at the bottom, and I see green ribbons, and I said, oh, my gosh, we've got to go <laughs> down there. And so mm-hmm. we went down, and Percy's, like, aggressive, you know. I'm trying to make him walk down the hill. He wants to go fight me. And I said, boy, if you make me fall off this hill, I'll shoot you. <laughs> and so... Uh, But we had fun, and I'm very verbal with horses, you know, even Mm -hmm. when I'm training. You know, Mm -hmm. they know me, I use my voice, and so they know my tone. They know when I'm happy with them and when I'm disappointed in them. And, you know, I talk to them like I'm talking to a person. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm guilty of that with all my animals, my horses and my dogs and everything. I just carry a conversation with them.
0: I tell people all the time, if you followed me, you know, or of a day and and watch me interact with these horses. You think I was crazy because <laughs> I really do. I I talk to them as if they understand, and I believe that you know, for for the most part they do because they're very smart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, they understand and they understand. And so,
1: did you have a yeah. part of the the ride that was particularly wonderful and a part of the ride that was particularly challenging for you?
0: Uh, the challenging the. The most challenging part for me was when it got dark because I mm-hmm. did not know where I was. I have never done that trail. And in the southeast, they liked the trails a lot more than they did in, out in Montana. Okay. Uh, the, light, the way how they light the trails up is different. So it was challenging for me coming from that and, and experiencing this way, which is fine because now I've learned. And mm-hmm. I understand it now, but, you know, it was just different. So that was challenging. And the most exciting part for me was I got to meet some of the riders that are not just in the South we- southeast. So I got to meet a lot of different people. And it was a lot of fun. That part I loved because I really enjoy meeting people. And, you know, and then the winner, Grand Hall, I got to talk with Grand Hall for a little mm-hmm. bit. And these people I'd never met, and,
1: you know, mm-hmm. just meeting
0: all of these different people, you know, from all over the, the states. It was very interesting.
1: So I wanted to, I always think, well, if I think of a question while we're interviewing, I should ask it so I won't have any regrets later. And when you were talking Absolutely. about the, uh, the intervals on the treadmill, I'm wondering, have you used interval training with your horses?
0: Actually, we do. I have done that. That's interesting because I never thought of it like that. Not on the same scale, but, but that would be an interesting thing to think about. But we do kind of do stuff like that. Whereas we'll, we'll do, um, when we do the canter muscles or when we do the trot muscles and stuff like that, we won't do it like that because we don't focus on speed. And so uh, I can't say, okay, so we'll go push them real hard and then we'll back off. We focus on pace. And so, for example, see if we're cantering, working on canter muscles, we'll go right. So we'll canter X amount of miles at X amount of speed and we'll stay at that speed. And that's how we ride. Like, out there on the ride, you'll see some people that will just be trotting and then cantering and they're just running and doing whatever, mm-hmm. and we don't do that. You know, at Dinkum Arabians, we, we, we focus on pace, mm-hmm. and we find out if the horse with what, what is its strength. Is it stronger at the trot or stronger at the canter, heart rate consistent at this speed or that speed, because they're all different. So you kind of have to figure out what your horse's strength and weaknesses are. And, and we kind of do uh, throughout in our training, we kind of figure it out, you know, cause like I said, they're all different. And that's kind of how we do it. We don't just, we don't just jump on and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's, and I've seen a lot of people do that, even doing a hundred. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, we just don't do it like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I, I'm grateful for the training and what I've learned. Cause I, like I said, I knew nothing about endurance. And then I've learned all of what I know from Christos Inkerman. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. You know.
1: So Marvin, I have two questions before we go. And one is if you could speak to the listeners who maybe haven't started endurance yet or they're riding 25 miles or 50 and they think, I just, I wouldn't even know how to get to 100 miles. What would be your advice to them? Your one piece of advice about being able to step up to the that really is the pinnacle of the sport, which is the 100-mile distance.
0: I think when I first started, I kept hearing people say, I think it's the thing is one mile at a time or one loop at a time. Mm-hmm. Don't focus on your, don't focus on way too far ahead. Stay where you are. So one mile at a time, I'll say it like that, because that's what I do. If I go, like, uh, that's a good question because I remember when I started, I was thinking, 100 miles is a long way. If you don't, Think about the uh, actual distance, but focus on what you're doing at that time, and then you'll be all right.
1: You're right. Like, yeah, just look, break it down and look at it one, one piece at a time.
0: One step at a time. If you look too far ahead, you could become overwhelmed. But if you just take each step day by day, you know, one day at a time, one minute at a time, and you're doing uh, endurance one mile at a time, one loop at a time, you know, just focus like when I go out there, i focus I'm doing my first loop, I'm not thinking about my fourth loop, I'm thinking about the first loop, mm-hmm. you, know, you know you know, and then I know I'll get there, or you know oh, I hope and pray that I get there because I have been pulled several times, you know, you mm-hmm. just never know stuff happens. but yeah, you just focus on you just stay in your now mm-hmm. and, and focus on the horse, focus on what's going on, be in tune with your horse, you know it's you've gotta listen to the horse. You've got to know the horse. And then I've ridden horses that I don't know. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I've been hired to ride and I don't know the horse. But you can still, like, listen and pay attention. You know, okay, if the horse is, like, trying to back off or ease off because they're very incredible animals. I mean, they're not like us. I mean, I've ridden horses that can slow down and walk or just slow down their trot for, like, five minutes. You know, just give them that. And then all of a sudden they just kick in and there's other gear. And then they can give you more. You know, you mm-hmm. got to listen to that stuff instead of pushing them and making them do something or overwhelming them, you know. So it's very interesting. I find it fascinating, you know, uh, to do this whole thing because there is technique involved.
1: Mm-hmm. That leads me to the last question, which we already touched on, but I do think it is fascinating. Um, so, what if somebody's listening and they think, oh no, my horse does travel around? Um, with its nose in the air and its back is flat, and maybe I need some dressage lessons. If they can't find a trainer near them, can you give them just one exercise, one idea of how could they change that horse from traveling in a U-shape upside down to traveling more round and carrying itself better and strengthening the top line?
0: Put them on a lunge line. If -hmm. you have a a round pen or if you don't have a round pen, lunge them. And when you lunge them, use side reins. Mm -hmm. But you don't put the side reins on tight. You don't try to pull the horse's head in. No, That's where people mess up. You put the side reins at a length where the horse can still lift its head up. And when you put the side reins, side reins are like training wheels. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they teach the horse to balance, all right? And if you put the side reins on uh, and let the horse, if you're lunging it, just let the horse feel it itself. It, It teaches them to get the contact it teaches them to engage, it teaches them to steady, you know, it, it does a whole number of things, but I would do that. I would advise people to just do that, and then sometimes they'll still, horses resist, you know, they'll they'll get hollow, especially Arabs, because they naturally hold their heads up in the air, and that's just their natural thing, but they can still do that, and still soften out, and still round out a little bit, and, and, and round their back, and so it's just a process, and they if you don't know what you're doing, then you can screw it up and oh, so yeah. it is best to get, get one help. that <laughs> that can help you, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's trainers everywhere, and yes. then look, you can always google this stuff, you know you can always mm-hmm. you know go into magazines there's dressage there's uh dressage today, there's practical horsemen, and all of these horse magazines they have all of these articles, and people put monthly articles in there about training horses and stuff, so you know. There's a lot of help out there, you know, but that's what I would do. That's what I do. I start off on the ground. I start off when I meet horses for the first time. I don't just jump on. I start, I do groundwork first. Mm -hmm. You know, I establish, establish, uh, who's the leader and who's the follower. And they Mm -hmm. learn pretty, pretty quickly. They, They learn. They understand. And I studied horses, you know, from a kid, I would watch them and I didn't know why. And now I know why, because I was learning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I watched the alpha horse, and you mimic the alpha horse. You know, so you do that stuff. You just, it's a process. There's a whole lot of stuff involved. I mean, this is so much. You have to be patient. The book says a thousand times, mm-hmm. and that's not for the horse. That's for us, right. because we want it in a hurry. I'm not a, and you can't be a microwave horse trainer. You know, you have to let the horse be a horse. Try to understand what's going on. When you don't get it right, try to, you know, think about from the horse's perspective, you know.
1: Marvin, I want to thank you for all the tips that you gave us and the time that you gave us. And I think you could start a YouTube video series on training the endurance horse, you know, to go round and strengthen that top line. I think... I think you could, but I just wanted to say congratulations, (laughs) you know, congratulations on winning best condition to me. Best condition is, is better than first place. So um, huge congrats to that. And thank you for all the tips.
0: Thank you, Christina. I appreciate you.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you too. Bye now. All
0: right. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your time with us by tuning in. To this episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. We hope it was useful or entertaining, or hopefully both. Endurance Horse Podcast is free and commercial free, though I would greatly appreciate it if you do listen on Apple Podcasts. If you would go over there, take a moment, write a positive review, and give us a five-star rating. It helps us stay higher in the search engine on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, ride far, ride well, and ride often.